Professors FM. Analytics with Mike Lewis, the podcast where we talk about everything you need to know about sports analytics. Here's your host, Mike Lewis, marketing professor at Emory University. Hey, welcome everyone. Welcome to the Fanalytics Podcast. Uh, my name is Mike Lewis. I'm a professor at Emory University. We are brought to you by the Emory Marketing Analytics Center. I am joined as usually by Doug Battle. How you doing, Doug? All right, Mike. I'm in the middle of a Stranger Things binge, so that's my my fandom passion for this week. And I gotta say, it's so much better than than anything else going on right now in the world. I can't believe you haven't started watching yet. All my kids are pushing it on me. I feel like it's the wrong direction, but I will get there. You know, it's interesting to me. You said it's the best thing going on right now. You're wearing a Golden State Warriors T-shirt, <laughs> and they recently won the NBA championship. But the, that's not as good as Stranger off, Things. This shirt is—I'm not a Warriors fan. I forgot I was wearing this shirt. Uh, it's just a shirt that was given to me, and I wear it. So I was pretty indifferent about who won the finals this year. Uh, happy to see Steph and Clay get another one, but yeah, the, it, it was just very predictable finals for me. It was. I didn't. I. I mean, people have listened to the podcast the last couple of weeks. No, I never really gave the Celtics much of a chance, even when they were up one zero. And so, I think that uh, it was predictable. It it played out exactly how anybody would have expected it to. And maybe, maybe it wasn't the same as if it had been like the Nets or the Seventy Sixers at full health going up against Golden State. I think that would have, from an entertainment standpoint, at least provided a better finals. I think that's probably true. I mean, Kyrie Irving makes a lot of news. Yeah. I mean, you know, news about potentially opting out from a contract. It, it might have been interesting if this would have gotten more attention. Yeah. You know, I've been lost in a sea of numbers, as we'll get to in a second here. But one number I did pull for the NBA Finals was the average viewership, and it came in at about 12 million. So, again, we, we're, we're in this world where big events now, Oscars, World Series, NBA championships hit about the 10 to 12 million person mark, which comes in at about three and a half to four percent of the the population. So it's I don't know that when you're hitting three and a half, four percent of the population, I would like to see survey data that actually said how many people actually knew who won the NBA finals this year. It, this is going to say to me, it's not just that people aren't watching it, it's that. I'm not really hearing it talked about. Like I'm, I'm not so sure people were aware that it happened outside of the three percent of people who were watching it. It seems like, and I'm, I'm not that old, but it seems like it used to be that everyone knew the NBA Finals, whether they were watching or not, knew exactly what was going on, knew who was playing, knew what the count was. Maybe that was just my little bubble growing up, but it certainly seems as though nowadays. It it could have not even happened, and, and the majority of well, the population you, I mean, wouldn't even know it. It might have been your little bubble, but that was also my little bubble too, growing up. And and so it's right, you know, maybe the maybe we did grow up in sports oriented bubbles, but those bubbles just seem smaller now, mm-hmm. much much smaller. <laughs> you yeah. know, the other thing, is, yeah. and again, you know, all the, all this stuff is going on, right? I mean, you know, the NBA finals concluded. I think Tampa Bay is still playing, and I, I think the NHL is still going on. And I'm fascinated by Tampa Bay being Stanley in it Cup. simply because the city of Tampa Bay is on an epic sports run. 
but I'm not sure that oh, yeah. anyone's paying a lot of attention except to look. Rob Gronkowski retiring again is a bigger story than the Tampa Bay Lightning. Well, I mean, I think that was a bigger story than the NBA Finals. Close, close, yeah. I mean, so this, as far as the amount of coverage I've seen yeah. and and the amount of I've I've actually heard people talk about that. So the worst, yeah, by the way, Tampa, the Tampa's, worst celebrity pitchman, Rob Gronkowski. <laughs> I, I mean, Rob, don't let them cast you as a half wit in every ad you do. <laughs> I liked the one where he decided to come out of retirement with Tom that I think it aired during the Super Bowl when they were playing. But uh, nevertheless, I, I expect to see him in more corny ads for years to come. I expect that to see him yeah, new, being confused and thinking about like eating Tide Pods. I mean, it's not the path, Rob. <laughs> okay. Now, Doug, we are in the midst of our uh, NFL preview. Last week, we... Um, <laughs> the we started our NFL, our NFL preview, um, emphasizing this QB wins metric last week with the AFC East. This week we've got the AFC North. Doug, this is the league to watch in terms of quarterback stories this year. There's a compelling story at every team in this division. I would say maybe the one caveat being Pittsburgh. With Mitch Trubisky, however, we do forget that Pittsburgh just drafted a quarterback who may or may not play this year, and that that could end up being a huge story as well, particularly his hands and the size of them. So, <laughs> yeah, interesting, interesting stories at all four. Yes, all four teams. Uh, and, and and look, I was I was lost in a sea of data, and one of the data points I gathered was finding the difference in hand size between uh, Trubisky. And Kenny Pickett. So we'll get to that. Oh, I can't. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, I imagine that's pretty significant. Trubisky's like, he got drafted number one purely on measurables. So I can't imagine any concern about his hand size. It's not that much bigger, but it is bigger. But let's not, you know, we won't spoil that. Okay, so yeah. so Doug, at, at the top of the AFC North, Doug, I've got the Cleveland Browns projected at 9.9 .9 wins. Um, but that's a... Look, I love the Cleveland Browns as a story. The Cleveland Browns, I, I mean, for I don't know for whatever reason, the Cleveland Browns have been a major media story for the last few years. Baker Mayfield has had amazing endorsement deals. I mean, I, I, I think I've seen him leaving, living at that stadium, those ads more than any other ad in the last year. Mm -hmm. um, you know, getting the uh, Alice Cooper's boots and walking over to the Cleveland Hall of Fame. I mean, the media packet surrounding Baker Mayfield has been tremendous. The performance of the team has not been very good. On the QB wins metric, I've got Baker Mayfield as a really, frankly, terrible quarterback in a lot of ways. Um, I have him as a break-even at 2020, but a minus three-game contribution in 2021, a minus two-and-a-half game contribution in 2019. So... You know, while the Browns being projected as the, the winner of the AFC North may seem a little bit surprising, the thing is Deshaun Watson has great numbers. You go back to mm. 2020, and he was a 2.7 win contribution guy. So switching out from Baker Mayfield at a minus three to Deshaun Watson at two and a half or three wins, that's a significant swing. And that Cleveland yeah. team was really pretty good to perform as well as they did. I think they were probably about seven and nine last, I'm not going to look it up. They, they were 
around you know 500 for most of the season swapping out a terrible quarterback for someone that is near elite suddenly that catapults them to the very top of the division yeah this is a, a situation where the qb wins metric makes a prediction or leads to a prediction that i otherwise would not have made i think a lot of times okay. this metric so far looking at it it, it tells us what we already know in a sense of, yeah, Aaron Rodgers is a really good quarterback or Tom Brady helped turn the Bucks around. This is a, a situation where we can see exactly how it's valuable, where a team like the Cleveland Browns, looking at their quarterback situation, could have a potentially five to six win turnaround just by switching out quarterbacks and seeing all of a sudden number one in the AFC North, a, a division that, is home to Joe Burrow and the Bengals, as well as Lamar Jackson and the Ravens. That's pretty significant. So this is not a pick I would have made on intuition. I would never be like, oh, AFC North, yeah, I'm going to have the Browns. And and we'll see what happens with Deshaun Watson. I, I saw yesterday that he settled a bunch of lawsuits. but we'll 20 out of 24, Doug. Yeah, we'll see what happens <laughs> with the uh, NFL punishment. and Makes you wonder about the last four, though, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's a little concerning. <laughs> I, everything about the whole situation is concerning. But yeah. nevertheless, Deshaun Watson and, and the Browns. You know, the Browns seem like a team so desperate to win that they don't even care about that. Like Because they did it with Kareem Hunt. Kareem Hunt got kicked off of the Chiefs. He was a huge part of their success early on in the Mahomes era. Kicked off the team because I, I believe it was for domestic violence. And Browns pick him up and get a freebie. Pair him with Nick Chubb. Now they have two great running backs. So they're doing the same thing with Sean Watson. I'm not sure. Either they know there's something that we don't from a legal standpoint or they just don't care and, and they're willing to win, do anything to, to break their curse of being a perennial loser. It's a good, it's a good way of phrasing it because I don't know either. I mean, you know, when you look at uh, when I look at these metrics and these scores of the quarterback, Deshaun Watson at a positive two point seven guy, two point seven wins in twenty twenty. It's hard to find guys like that. I mean, that is if not in the Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Pat Mahomes range, it's right next door to it. And so the the Browns gave up a ton for Watson, but those guys are so rare. It may have been the right thing to do, or it may have been you know they're just kind of getting desperate and and, and rolling the dice. Now, of course, the problem with forecasting the Browns is how much is this guy going to play? So for my forecast, I'm assuming he's going to play half the year, um, and he's going to return to 2020 levels. But you realize, you know, so I've got the Browns as the number one pick in the AFC North. But so much, th this is the challenge in forecasting, right? Even if you've got a really good metric, and I hope this QB win metric proves to be really good, how does this play out? I, I don't know. You know, does he play half the, half the season? Does he play a quarter of the season? Does he, is he showing rust from taking the year off? How do these lawsuits, the, the remaining lawsuits come through? A complete... A complete mess. And that is why, frankly, Tug, I'm even putting Cleveland out there as maybe one of the top QB narratives for, throughout the year as well. Yeah. Right? Moving away from Baker Mayfield to Deshaun Watson, but now the NFL suspensions. I, I think an NFL beef reporter could be making a living writing a story every week from Cleveland, uh, you know, at least leading into the season before things settle down. Yeah, I think so too. So we'll we'll see what happens, but it seems as though the Browns organization 
it's confident that Watson's going to be playing for him because you look at what they gave up for him. What was it three first round draft picks? Something like that. I yeah. mean, that's a that's a really big deal. They have to have extraordinary confidence that he's going to be on the field this year. So if he does play the season, I think your QB wins prediction here is in play. We'll we'll see oh, we'll see what the, happens. The other thing I want to know here because you mentioned it, the Browns run, and I'm not playing up the other aspects of this forecasting system system, you know, but. When we tease apart the contribution of the quarterback, we're also teasing apart the contribution of the defense and of the running game. The Browns' rushing game is valued at a 1.3 win contribution. That may not sound like very much, but in terms of the data, the Browns' rushing game is truly impressive. I mean, it's truly exceptional. Right. And and so this is a very good team that, again, by way of the numbers, my numbers, Baker Mayfield was holding them back. Yeah, and and of course you also got to bank on the running back staying healthy. You know, Nick Chubb staying healthy and the offensive line staying healthy. And there's so many factors when it comes to a team's overall amount of wins. It's hard to hold everything else the same and just change the quarterback. But Cleveland's one situation where it's possible to see that happen, and and it could be very beneficial for evaluating this metric and and its success and making predictions. Okay, Doug. At number two in the AFC North, we've got, again, you know, this is kind of an amazing preview of the AFC North, isn't it? Number one, the Cleveland Browns. Number two, the Cincinnati Bengals. But the, the classic, Bengals are led by, the classic yeah, that, one, two that's punch. the way that division always goes. Yeah, the classic one-two punch of the AFC North. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so Joe Burrow, we've talked a bunch about Joe Burrow. Oh, yeah. I think if he's not... I think collectively, maybe he's not each of our individual favorite player, but I think collectively he's our podcast favorite player. Yeah, I think that's fair. You know, I, I would tune in. You know, if he's doing a press conference, I want to see that. You know, I want to see the jewelry. I want to see what he. I want to hear what he says. It's just, uh, you know, he 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 has, especially through the playoff run, he delivered every time he was at a microphone. It, it truly he delivered walking off situation. the bus, uh, walking into the stadium every time. I mean, the guy guy delivered after his team lost the Super Bowl. He's out there looking fresh, still representing white men all over the world very well as, <laughs> as just being a cool person. And and I think that's part of his uh, part of his marketing prowess is is people see him and they they think I could be like that. It's a He's just a was he just a year or two younger than you? Yeah, he's pretty old for a young quarterback because he was in college for a while. So yeah, well, many yeah. a lot of transfers, right? Two right. transfers, wasn't it? No, I think it's just one. But just he, one. He was he was in school for. I mean, he stayed till his senior <laughs> year, and that was with a transfer. So he's in school for what five or six years. Okay, now the Bengals are an interesting case because last year, I believe they were a wild card team, so sort of just squeaked into the playoffs. Went on a great run. And so the forecast of 9.7 wins doesn't sound like a lot, but that's a little bit of improvement from where the Bengals were at last year. That improvement is driven by, and typically teams take a little bit of a step back because of drafting position, free agent losses. It's kind of a a reversion to the mean effect. But when I look at the data on Burrow, he was, um, and and again, I'm, I'm, I'm going... 
the way the metric works, it's on a per attempt basis. So the fact that he was injured his rookie year doesn't matter a whole lot for the calculations. He was near break even in 2020, and he was a plus 1.25 wins in 2021. I'm going to forecast Burrow as a positive 1.75 win guy this year. And again, that's sort of eyeballing from trends with other guys. I don't have a great system in place yet for forecasting growth from year one to year two to year three. Mm, yep. And there's some, and, and frankly, Doug, I'll be honest with you, there's some real problems with forecasting from year one to year two to year three. And I'll tell you, you want to know the big problem with that? Uh, it's running quarterbacks. Oh, uh, yeah? Running quarterbacks kind of screw up the whole system because they almost perform like running backs and they quickly and they quickly degrade. Stop doing that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But so I got Burrow at um, 1.75 QB wins, the Bengals at 9.7 wins. So neck and neck, really, with the Browns, probably the NFL decision on the suspension is what determines the victor of the AFC North. Yeah. First off, you mentioned Joe Burrow was about break-even his, uh, his rookie year. Last week, I believe you mentioned that Mac Jones was about a break-even this last year. Break even the is that the goal? I mean, is that success for a rookie quarterback? Yeah, it is. I mean, that, I mean, we could I could go through the data, but that is break even for a rookie quarterback is where you want to be. That's really now, like I said, break even in Cincinnati seems more difficult than being break even in New England. Mm. There's, there's always this coach effect in all this, right? So, my personal take on Burrow and the Bengals is I think they're going to improve a little bit more than you do simply because they have retooled their offensive line. I don't know if you remember this, Mike, but their offensive line was atrocious last year and somehow they made it scrap their way to the Super Bowl and Joe Burrow was getting sacked every other play and running for his life. And it's kind of a miracle that he made it through that season without a significant injury, but they've, they had one of the biggest salary caps uh, because they built through the draft and with young players. And so They've retooled their offensive line, and I expect to see a lot of improvement there. And I think that's just what Joe Burrow needs to to take his game to the next level. So as much as it might feel like for me, uh, maybe you know they take a step back. Last year was kind of a fluke in the playoffs, and and it's easy to overvalue that. Just looking at the personnel on the field, I think the Bengals as a whole, whether or not Burrow's contribution to the success changes. I think the team as a whole um, has a little bit more success. So I see them winning the division, but this this is this is what makes it interesting. Like intuition says Joe Burrow, the numbers say Deshaun Watson in the in the Browns. It'll be fascinating to watch everything play out. And of course it can always come down to injuries or lawsuits in this case, but if things stay, you know, if everybody plays and, and we get a full season, we're going to get to see whether intuition or, or the metric win in, in this circumstance. Hey, the first couple of years are where you see a, most of the growth in terms of player improvement, especially mm -hmm. at the quarterback position. If Burrow goes to, let's say, a, has a has a Josh Allen type of trajectory, and he goes to a positive 2.5 or 3.0 win contribution, then guess what? Then the Bengals, and again, let's say Deshaun Watson is rustier than, than I think he's going to be, you could easily have a situation where suddenly the Bengals, led by the most charismatic quarterback in the league, are a 12 or 13 win team 
winning the AFC North. And then suddenly you've got the great situation where the, I've got the Bengals as one of the, you know, from some of the other work we do, the Bengals as one of the worst fan bases, the least passionate fan bases in the league. So one of the smallest markets with a 30th ranked fan base, but with potentially one of the most dominant teams on the, on the field. Doug, that's the story I want to see. That's what I want to see. I think we've seen it across the NFL, just with quarterbacks, Josh Allen going to the Bills, uh, even Patrick Mahomes going to Kansas City. We remember how far back Kansas City was ranked very recently on, on your Phantom Report. The NFL's parity structure with the salary cap, with the draft, it is actually working. There seems to be, to a degree, a, an equal playing field for these small market teams with the big boys. And now we're coming off an era where maybe some of the bigger players were in contention. It seems that the tables have turned and some of these small market Cincinnati Bengals type teams are, are positioned to be contending in the Buffalo Bills for the next decade. And like I said, I don't know, and then I'll let this go. If the Bengals win 13 games and he's wearing, you know, he's got a necklace that says Joe and Diamonds. He's wearing a fur coat. You know, this Made out is, of tiger skin or something. Yeah, whatever it is. <laughs> then this is just the, this is the greatest thing that could happen for the NFL. And, and you know, we always think about what's the next, uh, you know, what who who's next and all this stuff. And I think we have to think Pat Mahomes is still next. But Joe Burrow could be the... Uh, I mean, I'd love to see a, a Mahomes Burrow rivalry for the next uh, oh, yeah. decade. I mean that that could be the new the new Manning Brady. So we we are all here for that, and who's really here for that is the Bengals fans because while they may be small in number, they are a mighty bunch as far as their enthusiasm for that team and having a player that puts you on the map and finally something that means so much to you is now being showcased to the world and is important in, in the grand scheme of things is such an exciting place to be as a fan. So the Bengals fandom is in love with Joe Burrow. And I personally, I just want to see him stay healthy because he's, he's destined to have a great career. If he does, he's already had one ACL his first year. I'm so glad they've retooled that offensive line and excited to see the future with Joe Burrow and the Bengals. Yeah. And if Burrow does become what we both hope he becomes, and let's say the Bengals win a Super Bowl. That fan base will be so angry with me when I rank them about 25th or 26th next year as well. <laughs> so, you know, it, it just gets better and better. Okay, Doug, speaking of the opposite fan base and mm -hmm. the opposite of the Bengals fan base, the Pittsburgh Steelers fan base, a truly national fan base. Right. Pittsburgh Steelers bars in just about every city in America. Um, Maybe not the same scale of fan base as the Dallas Cowboys, but right up there with the Cowboys and, and the Packers. Now, the Steelers are a team in transition with Ben Roethlisberger moving on. They're hard to forecast because I don't even know who you plug in. Who do you assume is going to play? When I did these, uh, when I did the what we're going to talk about, I put Mitch Trubisky as the likely starter, but it could very well be Kenny Pickett. And frankly, you know, it, it's the Pittsburgh Steelers. Somehow you kind of get the feeling that they've got a culture where they're going to play the whoever looks the best in camp. So maybe it's Mason Rudolph. I mean, I, I truly don't know. But I'm going with Mitch Trubisky. What do you think? Yeah, I think Trubisky starts the season. It seems as though 
no one in Pittsburgh actually truly believes he's the future of the franchise. And yet we see this so many times in the NFL. If there's a guy that's somewhat of a known commodity, you know that he's not going to totally throw your season. Those guys tend to get playing time early in the year over the rookie who's who's a complete wild card. And Mitch Trubisky at this point in his career, it seems like he's that. I remember for the Giants, it was Kerry Collins and then it was Kurt Warner before Eli Manning. And, and I think Mitch Trubisky is that guy, although, of course, he hasn't had the career success that Kurt Warner had. The Steelers are, I think, when I start playing with these quarterback numbers, projecting out the way the seasons were going to go became sort of fascinating to me because I think usually we look at these things and we go, okay, do they go with the journeyman or do they go with the the rookie, sort of take their lumps and build him up, et cetera. But when I go through this exercise and I pull the team apart into components, I actually end up with a negative score for Roethlisberger last year, a minus six win contribution. Minus 0.6. Minus 0.6, yeah, sorry. <laughs> minus minus 0.6. So the Steelers were, again, in some ways, kind of like the the Browns, not as dramatic, but a, a good team that was suffering a little bit from slightly subpar quarterback play. Mm-hmm. And so when they moved to Trubisky, then I look up Trubisky's numbers, and remember we were talking about break-even quarterbacks? Mitch Trubisky in 2020 might have been the most break-even quarterback in the data. His score was minus .0028 wins. So he was truly, he's, he's truly Mr. Average NFL quarterback. So if you take an average NFL quarterback, a zero guy, and again, how strange is this that I'm going to, I'm actually going to go on record here, and I don't feel comfortable doing this, saying Mitch Trubisky might be an upgrade from Ben Roethlisberger of last year. Right. That you plug that in and the Steelers end up being about the same as they were last year. Uh-huh. And so then I go through the mental exercise. Well, the Steelers are about the same as they were last year, and Steelers made the wild card. Um, then perhaps this is a team that is going to be in contention because they're getting sort of journeyman, solid quarterback play. And if that's the case, then maybe the rookie doesn't get his shot on the field. Well, let right? Me- the Trubisky's not great, but... Are you going to take, if you're a little bit above 500 looking to make the playoffs, is that where you're going to make the change and put the rookie in the game? Right. And usually teams, it takes tanking. It takes being eliminated from the playoffs to, to get the rookie out there. Uh, I've seen that a million times. As soon as the team's eliminated, then they'll go with their rookie and they'll, they'll put them out there because now they're building for the future. I, I certainly could see that in Pittsburgh. My thought with Kenny Pickett is that we just talked about Mac Jones rookie year, um, Joe Burrow rookie year. Success for a rookie quarterback is a push. It's a zero. Zero QB wins. Mitch Trubisky is already there. So your best case scenario with Kenny Pickett is that he'll perform as well as Mitch Trubisky would, most likely. Unless he's an outlier and he's a a two-win rookie quarterback, which seems far-fetched, particularly on a, a team like this. And so so you can start to see why a guy like Trubisky, as long as, as the team is in playoff contention, although the fans aren't excited about him, he may not feel like the future of the franchise. For the short term, if the coach is focused on getting wins and not getting fired, you, you want to do what it takes to win. And a guy like Mr. Trubisky probably is a better choice in the short term. And, and so, again, going back to that zero 
QB wins is a good number for a rookie. Kenny Pickett, we don't know if he'll even be a good rookie, but if he is, you know, best case scenario, he'll probably contribute to wins as much as Mitch Trubisky would for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Trubisky, you know what you're getting at least. And I think this ends up being a, I mean, maybe it's a little bit of a national story because Pittsburgh has such a high profile as a brand, but this is a classic local story, right? This is, you can just imagine sports radio. I mean, if my numbers are right, this is basically an eight and eight team flipping a coin on that last game to see whether they're nine and eight in, in the wild card hunt or under 500 that will drive the Pittsburgh fans up a wall. And there'll be so many calls that we got to get Pickett in there. Yeah, yeah. Got to get Trubisky off the field. But how does the coaching staff make that move? I don't know. Yeah, fans love to debate quarterback controversies over all things. Obviously, as a Georgia football fan, I've seen several with, with Justin Fields and Jake Fromm being the most noteworthy. But just as a fan of football, you see it every year. It's almost like the biggest stories in the offseason are the quarterback battles. Oftentimes, it's not for a team that's got two guys who are going to take them all the way. Of course, years back with Kansas City, it was Alex Smith starting in front of Patrick Mahomes, and there were fans that felt like, man, we got to get Mahomes out there. We got to get Mahomes out there. But Alex Smith was really solid for them, and and he took them pretty far, and Mahomes developed well. And in the long term, I guess it worked out for them, but maybe in the short term, they could have done better. Who knows? But this is one of those situations. Of course, I, I don't think that that Kenny Pickett is going to be Mahomes, and I don't think Trubisky's as good as Alex Smith was. But it's similar in the situation where you've got a number one pick, a former number one pick that's become a journeyman quarterback, and then you've got a young guy who's got upside until proven otherwise, and the fan base is going to... I mean, every every day of training camp, every practice, it's going to be, well, today Kenny Pickett actually was right on the money, and Trubisky overthrew a couple guys. And it looks like Pickett got a little bit more reps with the ones. Fans will get excited the next day. Um, Trubisky today got all the reps with the ones, and people feel like, oh, Kenny Pickett's getting—he's, you know, he's not—he's getting the raw end of this deal, and and he's not getting a fair shot. So we'll see that throughout the season, Pittsburgh. I, I fully expect that to be an ongoing ESPN storyline throughout the year. Okay, in terms of measurables, other metrics. So Kenny Pickett's hands were measured at 8.5 inches at the NFL Combine. They were later measured at 8.625 inches at Pittsburgh Pro Day. Just my, so guy, you know. my guy figured out how to grow his hands. That's what I'm <laughs> yeah. interested in there. How, how did that happen? Uh, how do you yeah, make H- it? HGH. Um, <laughs> Trubisky's hand, hand growth hands hormones. Are, yeah. Trubisky's hands were measured at nine and a half inches. So a full inch in hand size difference between the players. Uh, other measurables, uh, <laughs> Trubisky is 6'2", Pickett's 6'3". They're both right around 220 pounds. And Doug, you want to know the biggest difference between these two guys in terms of the combine? What's that? The Wonderlick score. Uh-oh. Yeah, it's kind of great. You hear Wonderlick uh, store, and I'm immediately a, you're like, uh-oh. Well, you're like, that's the biggest difference. I mean, somebody performed poorly. Well, Trubisky was a 25. Kenny Pickett was a 17 on the Wonderlick. All right, so some some uh, brain concerns. Joe In Burrow was a 34. Uh, that sounds about right. What Deshaun was, Watson, a 20. 
<laughs> okay. <laughs> We're seeing a trend here. And Lamar, ja- Lamar Jackson, 13. He was 13? No wonder he slipped in the draft. Uh, Wonderlick scores of some of the more notable quarterbacks currently in the NFL include Carson Wentz at 40, Matthew Stafford at 38, Josh Allen, 37, Aaron Rodgers, 35, Joe Burrow, 34, Tom Brady, 33, Dak Prescott, Dak Prescott, 25, Ben Roethlisberger, 25, Pat Mahomes, 24. Um, the Manning boys, Eli Manning, much better than his brother Peyton, 39 to 28. So, so again, what was Pickett? 17. Yeah. That's, it seems as though something's sub, wrong there. Sub 20 is, sub 20 is not favorable <laughs> here. I don't know. I've, I've heard that test is kind of a joke, but never taken it. So it, it actually, from looking through some of this, it sounds like the Wonderlick is essentially going to be gone from the NFL combine. But I mean, look, I mean, you look at some of those numbers. I mean, and- it seems as though the more elite, performing quarterbacks are are very high and some of the guys that have struggled are significantly lower so it's still a it could be a useful tool well and it it look it, it seems like and this is just eyeballing it that the non the the guys that score less that do play at the elite level play a little bit more with their legs well I was going to say they're right? they're just significantly more athletic like yeah. Lamar Jackson is so much more athletic than Peyton Manning or Tom Brady. Um, so he's able to compensate for anything that those quarterbacks have that he lacks. And, and of course, with Lamar Jackson, there's, there's all kinds of arguments as to whether he's true. There's always been arguments about him, whether he's truly a quarterback or whether he's just a great athlete that gets the ball every play. And that well, we'll, and th- we'll get to that. We'll get to that. And, and look, Doug, and this is the thing in terms of, the the challenge of dealing with metrics, right? I mean, does the wonder does intelligence and, and it's probably cerebral processing speed, and it's probably like, and the, I think the argument would be that you know minds the minds that work faster on a paper and pencil test does that correlate with minds working faster on the football field? It may well be. I mean, looking at some of those names like Aaron Rodgers up at the top of that list, there probably is a positive correlation oh yeah i think the problem is that people get wrapped up into this thing of thinking well one number yeah you know you can't look at these things in in, in isolation right it's also possible that someone's just bad at taking tests and like it's possible that lamar jackson's decision making on the football field is elite and he makes decisions even quicker than peyton manning or tom brady but that he he didn't grow up taking SAT or ACT class isn't it isn't as well trained and test taking and and it affects the number. So hey, part of me wonders like when I see a number like that for Kenny Pickett, did he not care about the test? I mean, I you know, who who knows what goes on with the with these guys? Did he blow off the test? It seems strange when you're trying to get drafted in the first round, but but having gone to school with athletes, there's plenty of athletes that don't care about the tests that they take or well practiced and not caring about tests taking. <laughs> so it's, it's possible, but, but nevertheless, it's a little bit for someone like Kenny Pickett, who doesn't have the athleticism of a Lamar Jackson or one of those guys who, who even, you know, can still perform at an elite level. You would certainly want to see him score much higher. 
It's two red the, flags. I mean, the, the hand size red flag <laughs> and the Wonderlick score red flag. And you can almost imagine that those are probably the two red flags that people want to deal with the least on coaching staffs. But, you know, we'll see where that goes for his, uh, for his career. Because, like, the Wonderlick score, looking at some of these lists of names, that would make me a little bit nervous. Because even if he decided to blow off the test, that makes me kind of nervous. That tells you well. something. Right, right. That does tell you something. So okay, we'll okay, see what uh, happens. He's a, he's such four. a picket. Oh, su- picket such an interesting prospect to me because he was just a gamer in college. He's never really looked the part. But last year, when you when you watched him play, he looked like an NFL. He was making NFL passes, and they're saying, "Wow, this guy might be an NFL guy." And at one point, they were thinking, "Is he going to be the number one pick in the draft?" And of course, he wasn't. He he dropped much further than that, probably in part to all these measurables. But come game day, we know that he's capable of balling at one level. And it'll be interesting to see how it translates at the next. Because those Pittsburgh fans, if Trubisky is not lighting it up, and I don't expect him to, in their heads, Pickett is going to be godlike until proven otherwise. They're going to want to see him. They're going to be watching his college highlights on repeat every time Trubisky throws an interception. And they're going to be saying, hey, we got to get this guy out there. And he could be a huge phenom if he goes out there, especially I think the hand size thing is actually kind of hilarious as far as like if he does succeed and and people will kind of embrace that. Like, Doug, did you ever measure your hand? No, and I don't have a ruler, Mike. It's okay. it's probably the same size as his, honestly. It's I don't, I don't know. think so. I mean, I think I measured mine and I was right around eight and a half, but I'm five oh, okay. foot ten. I yeah. mean, it's six four. You know, you're you're probably in a different league. I mean, yeah. you can palm a basketball easily, yeah, oh, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so you're, you're definitely, yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess Kenny Pickett's got a dunk with two hands. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so my, and so I got the Steelers forecasted 8.8 wins, and that's with Trubisky playing. If we go to Kenny Pickett, then if I'm eyeballing it, then we prop da- probably drop down to about, to we, we probably drop down to about seven wins, or about, you know, seven or eight wins. But that's assuming that as a rookie, he comes in like last year's rookie class and is a minus two or two and a half guy. Right. But you know what? And again, it's like I haven't thought that all the way through. You know, playing for the, a very stable organization like the Pittsburgh Steelers with a coach that's been there a long time, maybe it's more realistic to think of Pickett as coming in as more of a Mac Jones type right. guy. Well, I mean, that that was Mac Jones' situation exactly. Stable teams, stable coaching situation, decent supporting cast. And came in with a break even, even though he may not have been as talented as quarterback as Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields or some of the other guys who came out of that class. Okay, Doug, at number four in the AFC North, and again, this almost seems inverted from how this division usually goes, we've got the Baltimore Ravens. Now, I will admit that this division is tightly packed. I'm forecasting the Ravens out to 8.2 wins, so they're, they're really kind of stacked and pretty even. Yeah. Now, Lamar Jackson in the Ravens, in some ways, this is really a tremendous quarterback narrative going into the into the season. So from all the news reports I've read, Jackson does not want to deal with a contract extension till after this season. Mm-hmm. He's also, and again, this seems like a very bad idea, representing himself in his negotiations. When I look at the QB win score numbers and the trajectory on Jackson, 
I have him at 2.25 in 2019. That's great. That's near elite. That's that is MVP kind of caliber quarterback. It's just on the fringe of that very very top group. It's definitely pro ball. I've got him minus .75 in 2020 and minus two in 2021. Yeah, Mike, that's just the Madden curse right there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> he went from he he had that 2.25 and they put him on Madden and uh, there went the rest of his career. <laughs> now. I'm not going to claim to know what his injury situation is, you know, whether it's, you know, sort of just the, the wear, because he reminds me a lot of his trajectory reminds me a lot of running back numbers mm. where they really do trail off pretty quickly. And it's almost like you should never give a running back a second contract in the NFL that five years you've put too many miles on that on that machine and you should better you're better off going out and getting another third round running back and plugging them in than trying to you know keep your your stud running back your top of the draft guy going for a couple more years so i i look at jackson and i think this could be a really dramatic and very ugly story because if he continues to trail off but he's got an enormous reputation, and a lot of people think he's an MVP-level talent. The Ravens could be in a situation where he wants $50 million a year, that he wants to join the Allens and the Mahomes at the very top of the list in terms of payroll, but his performance has dropped off precipitously. And I got news for the Ravens fans, or for the Ravens management. The fans and the media are going to be on Lamar Jackson's side. Yeah. Yeah, and and he's earned that fandom with his performance. I think he had his doubters coming into the NFL and proved them wrong real early. And so now his defenders are are very defensive about criticism of Lamar Jackson. And on the field, there is reason for criticism these last two years. And so Jackson's in a situation where he still believes in himself clearly, not taking a contract extension until after the season. He's betting on himself. Obviously, with injury concerns and the rest, it is a little bit of a gamble as well as the fact that he just hasn't played at a at his highest level in two years already. And so, Lamar Jackson, I think the running back number is interesting because my my interpretation, or, or I guess what I've seen in with NFL quarterbacks that are running quarterbacks, is the first year or early on in their career they run a lot and they benefit from that. We saw that with Cam Newton as they mature, as they grow older. I think they part of it is just learning that your body can only take so much and sustain an entire season. Um, and, and they become a, a lot more pocket passers. We saw that with Cam Newton. We saw that, I think, Michael Vick, when he was with the Eagles, was a lot more of a pocket passer than he was early in his career with the Falcons. And and there's a number of guys like this. But I think the concern is whether, you know, as he ages a little bit and as his youth it's no longer a factor as far as his athleticism or less of a factor if he can still play at an MVP level without running so much and without defenses having to to guess on any given play and have to factor in the fact that, you know, they basically have to put a spy on the quarterback and, and it opens up some things in coverage. And so that's that's all very interesting with Lamar Jackson in a contract year where he's clearly going to be playing his heart out. Um, he has a lot of heart as a football player, and I think that's part of why Ravens fans are so 
Ravens fans and Lamar Jackson fans are so adamant that that he's the guy that he's 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 an elite quarterback. He's up there with Mahomes and Josh Allen, and he's going to be part of the league. You know, one of the faces of the league for the next decade. We'll see. We'll see how that plays out. But I personally, with Baltimore, I don't see them as a four. Like my again, this is just my instinct, not the the QB win stat. I I, I tend to think Bengals one, Ravens two three and four the the other two teams maybe that's because they have a proven quarterback but i i i have baltimore higher if i if i'm making the prediction so again we'll get to see the qb wins metric go up against somebody's natural instincts intuition and see how things shake out well you know what let me um let me look real quick at the i'm gonna pull up because look i I think you're I understand exactly where you're coming from. And, you know, I've publicly said I grew up a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. And it seems like the Ravens are always at the top of that division. Yeah. That they always find a way to rebuild that defense. And they, you know, they're never going to dip down but between, you know, 500 is about the baseline and they're going right. to move back up. But let's see. Um, so ESPN has them forecast at 9.3 wins. Uh, NFL.com, 9.2 wins. I've got them at 8.2 wins. So this might be the team that I deviate. Well, it, I don't know if it's the team that I deviate the most from, but this is one of the biggest uh, differences between myself and the two simulation type mm-hmm. of approaches to this. Uh, Cincinnati. You know, the ESPN has Cincinnati at 8.7 wins, NFL.com at 9.1. So I'm more optimistic about Cincinnati. In terms of Cleveland, uh, I'm at 9.9, ESPN's at 9.6, NFL.com is just at 8. And in Pittsburgh, I'm 8.8, which blows away ESPN at 6.5 and 8.1. And I, I think, look, I think going through those numbers, a lot of this is driven by, you know, the, the adjustments. That, and look, I mean, my, my, my method is clearly driven by the quarterback changes and the quarterback statistics. I don't think most people looking at Pittsburgh, you going from Roethlisberger to Trubisky, they think there's going to be a major drop-off. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lamar Jackson, I think probably the tendency is going to say, well, he's going to come back maybe not to his 2019 level but he's going to rebound from a bad year and be more and be more I mean, effective. Minus 2 is really bad. Really yeah, bad. Yeah, minus it's... 2 is tough and and I have to admit, and again this is sort of the there's always a danger of bias of that you can get from just looking at too much. You know, there's there's got to be a happy medium of looking at the numbers but not looking at the numbers too much. Mm-hmm. When I see those three numbers of 2 minus 0.75 and then minus 2 my mind immediately starts to just project project that out farther, right? That there's a tendency to think the linear trend is going to continue right. and that Jackson's finished. That may not be fair. It may not, but it also may be what's happening, and, and this number helps us to see that better than the next person. So, again, AFC North, like these are all very, very interesting quarterback storylines. You graded them out and... yeah. Look, like I, I mean, in terms of me grading out the storylines, I, I've got Cleveland as an A plus if Watson plays and performs. I've got Joe Burrow in Cincinnati as an A. It, look, it's hard for me to not imagine Joe Burrow being an 
A or A plus storyline. <laughs> it's a um, with him. It's like if he fails spectacularly, it's a huge story. If yeah. he's phenomenal, it's a huge story. If he's the same as last year, it's a huge story. So you're right. There, there's yeah. no way that one goes wrong from a storyline narrative perspective. I've got Pittsburgh. It's at a C plus, but you know that might even be a little bit low because I mean it's the classic rookie versus journeyman veteran. I just think it's more of a local story than a national story. Yeah. And the Ravens, look, I've got the Ravens at an A minus. To me, the Ravens and Lamar Jackson is maybe the most explosive story in the NFL. Because, like I said, if my numbers are right and this guy is badly, is badly trending downward, it's going to be an ugly, ugly negotiation. Because, like I said, Jackson's going to get all the support in the world. And just as you mentioned, that, that story about why was he overlooked in the draft, and you know, there's going to be a racial component to this one as well, of this guy's not getting paid for the past performance. And so this, I, I can just imagine Stephen A. Smith doing you oh, know, yeah. 10 minutes on Lamar Jackson and the Ravens not paying this guy. So this could be a really tough, tough story yeah he's he's got to rebound because i mean i imagine being the ravens and and they're not stupid like they they see the downward trajectory that he's been on these last three years or really two years um if it continues how do you invest your future in a, a basically the equivalent of a running back who's who's past his prime it's that's tough so and again not saying lamar jackson as a running back but well, Doug, He's, let me ask you this: His one. performance. Just is, if let me put you a devil. If you're playing front office, look, I've got the Ravens at eight point two wins. You know, let's say they let's say they exceed expectations by a win, so they get to nine wins, and Jackson takes them to the the playoffs as a wild card team. Let's say he's still not performing. You know, my metric still. Let's say he has them at a minus one. Minus one. Guy. Yeah. Do you pay him the number he wants? He just took you to the playoffs. Yeah. He's got an MV- I think he's got he's a past MVP, isn't he? Yeah. He's a past MVP that just took your team to the playoffs and he now wants $50 million. Do you pay that? I don't, but somebody's going to. Okay. In the NFL. In today's NFL with some a shortage of what's perceived as elite quarterbacks. I mean, we all know in the NFL, if if you're going to win a Super Bowl, you've got to have one of those guys. You've got to have a top 10 guy. I don't think that a minus one makes Lamar Jackson a top 10 guy, but I still think there's a perception with his MVP pass, with him being a playoff quarterback in this situation. I think that whether it's the Ravens or the Browns <laughs> ditch Deshaun Watson and go yeah. for another, well, another push, guy, somebody's going to Let me push you a little it. bit harder on this, though, Doug. So let's, let's imagine the scenario where... Your internal metrics just say he's it's a little bit below average. He wants $50 million. As the general manager, you don't really want to do it. Are you almost forced to do it? That if you push, if you blow off, if you blow off Lamar Jackson, are you going to have that general manager seat two years in the future? Or is the, the city almost going to turn on you? I mean, is this a no-win situation for everyone involved? That's a no-win. I think... Th- I think that if you're general manager of the Ravens, you either need Lamar to 
to be a plus one at least this year in the QB wins metric, or you need him to be like a minus four. Like you need it to be so bad that people are the fan base is is acknowledging, okay, it's time to move on. This this was fun for a little bit, but it's not going to last forever. A, a minus one and a playoff appearance that's just that's brutal for for a g- general manager because you're right. If you let him go, the fan base is going to want you crucified and you know if you keep them you might be tying up your salary cap to a underperforming and, and a player who's on a downward trajectory for the next five years that's that's gonna for any nfl team if you tie your salary cap to a player like that that's that's pretty much going to guarantee you're out of contention and you got to remember in the nfl all of a sudden quarterback dollars are mostly guaranteed yeah right so they they've switched the system and so this is uh so in some ways, the the Ravens are in the most precarious position of just about any franchise yeah. in the NFL at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. <sighs> okay, Doug, we can wrap it up from here. Anything else you want to note? Talk about the Live Golf Tournament that actually seems to be... You know what? We, You know I love expansion leagues. Yeah. It had never occurred to me before Live the Live Golf Tournament that golf might have been the ideal situation for an expansion league. Because you really only have to steal about 10 guys. <laughs> it's true. And you suddenly can leapfrog or become completely a peer or competitor of the PGA. Even like if the NBA, if they took LeBron and Durant and Steph Curry, and if they took the top couple of guys and put them in some Filipino basketball league, it would still be like kind of a joke. Like it would be just like a a pro-am type thing where it'd be a showcase of some elite talent amidst some basketball players. But with golf, there's only a handful of names that anybody knows that I think if I'm watching and it's, it comes down to Phil Mickelson and Tiger Woods or something, it doesn't matter what league it is. It's going to feel like the highest level. So regardless of the, the surrounding competition. So I think you're right about that. And I haven't kept up with this live league that you're so infatuated oh, it, with. Look, it, it, Doug, it doesn't even matter because the, you know, the other thing that I, and I will admit, I didn't see this coming. Golf was really ideal for this because the PGA was so U S centric. Right. Yeah. And so there's so much more money, you know, when these leagues go in, like in soccer or tennis, when these things go truly international. So golf was, I mean, it's kind of amazing that it took the Saudis until 2022 to figure this out because this was this was a prime opportunity that was out there for a long time. Can You, you can imagine now you're going to build major tournaments throughout the entire world, play one in Japan, play one in Shanghai, play you know a couple of, uh, in Europe, and suddenly you've got a worldwide game and you've taken you know the PGA revenues – and now you're multiplying that you know you got a multiple of revenues and it's you know the, the live i think the live organization had such a terrible start with uh you know Mickelson's comments gosh but it is going to be I, I think that's a that's a clear winner going forward i think so too and i think that if you compare that to the business opportunity of trying to create a minor league football league and the states i don't know why everyone keeps trying to attempt that but somebody was a lot smarter in this situation to say hey there might be a much bigger opportunity and as far as expansion leagues or minor leagues that that is far more of a guarantee 
than creating the XFL or USFL or whatever the next FL is in, in the States <laughs> because to me that's been a loser over and over again. This is something that it seems like why shouldn't it work? It actually, there's a lot of reasons it could work and should work. Okay, and with that, let's wrap it up here. As always, more content at www.fandomanalytics.com. Talk to you soon.